Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by all of my awesome co-hosts, Laura Nash and Shane Kelly, over in Houston. You guys are in the same town for once. Kind of exciting. We are full of tortillas. Yes. Houston has the best Mexican food, and we have eaten it all. All of it. And uh, Nate also joining us. Nate, how are you doing, Nate Heininger? Unfortunately, not full of tortillas. A, a, a state that I prefer to be in. Full of tortillas, that is. I prefer to be full of tor- tortillas. Not the state of Texas, which also is the source of tortillas. Yeah, it's tricky, because I prefer not to be in the state of Texas, but I would prefer to be full of tortillas. And if they're best in Texas, oh man, then perhaps... The loops are endless. I seriously <laughs> miss uh, Ninfas. The... the yeah. It's the best Tex-Mex food in the world, in my opinion. Probably because I grew up with it, but oh my god. Shane sent me a video of somebody eating queso. Oh my god, that queso. That was me eating queso. like it was, was flowing like liquid gold. So there's this like little local place. I think it's called uh, Qdoba um, <laughs> by my house. That is uh, pretty tasty. Mom and pop no. shop. It's a little, yeah, I know the owner. So now that all of our listeners have left to go to their local Tex-Mex shop, <laughs> this has been the short game. Let's talk about process management. Yeah. Business with a capital <laughs> B and an exclamation point. We're going to be talking this week about uh, Human Resource Machine, a game from the Tomorrow Corporation. And this is kind of weird to say, but I wasn't looking forward to playing this game. I, I thought I would not like it, and I ended up liking it a lot, but it's so different from the other games from the Tomorrow Corporation. I mean, it has a whiff of the educational game because. It does, um, yeah. So, Tomorrow Corporation made our favorites uh, Little Inferno and World of Goo. So, we knew they were reliable and had a lot of charm, but this one kept being called the game that has programming puzzles. And for some people, me, that was really exciting. And for other people, that was uh, like playing number crunchers or like Oregon Trail. It was like, maybe it'll be a good game, but it's educational and that's terrifying. I would just like to say, I would love for the Tomorrow Corporation to remake uh, Oregon Trail. Oh, in a heartbeat. Every the, uh, graphics would be astounding. And the amount of creative deaths in that game oh, would yeah. be wonderful. I had no, so coming into this, I had, I didn't even know it was a programming puzzle game. I just knew it was made by the Tomorrow Corporation, which I loved Little Inferno so much mm-hmm. that, like, that's really all. I didn't, I haven't even really played World of Goo, though. I know that that, that game is, is well liked as well. But Little Inferno is one of my favorite games, at least in its, like, presentation and uniqueness that we've done on this game or on this show. And so that was enough for me. And I got this in a humble bundle. So it just kind of came along in the, um, Games that look great or something like that is a very recent one, um, which it does. I wouldn't. It's not a Monument Valley or anything, but all the Tomorrow Corporation games definitely, you know, they they think about everything: the design, the story, to a degree, the puzzles, which is really the core of this game. Yeah, we were all playing it on Steam, and then halfway through our review period, it comes out all of a sudden on mobile. So now it's on iOS. So Huge surprise. I was not expecting that. And if you, honestly, I think if you were going to pick this game up today, it'd be the version that I would re- uh, recommend. You know, you might already have this game in, uh, you know, because of one of these bundles or because it's been on sale a couple of times. It's not a brand new game. I, I don't remember exactly when it came out, um, but it's been out for for year Uh, yeah like a year um but now that it's out on mobile i think this is probably the best way to play it so 
we're we're playing it now partly because it popped into our uh, into our Steam libraries via Humble Bundle, partly because it's out suddenly and unexpectedly on mobile. It's also out on the Wii U, surprisingly enough. This came out in October of 2015, so it's actually it's not uh, it's not even a year old yet. So if you liked World of Goo or Little Inferno, at least the aesthetic here is going to appeal. Um, but because it's a programming puzzle, it's, it's completely different in approach from either of those other two games. World of Goo is a puzzle game, but it's mostly physics puzzles. It's, it's puzzles where, you know, you get this sort of creativity to it, but it's, it's, it's a very physics based kind of free form kind of experience. A little, little gooey. I would say that it's more similar to this than, uh, than Little Inferno, just because it has that sort of, um, goal-oriented puzzle style. And it also is, in a way, close in the educational style because we're learning about, you know, uh, creating uh, tessellated bridges and how to build strong stuff. I I mean, there is some... some It's not ragdoll physics. No. So World of Goo had a little bit of, like, creating stable structures. Mm Mm-hmm. I would say it's you're building a solution. You're starting with nothing, and your solution is a thing that you have to piece together. Uh, instead of bridges, you're doing calculations, basically. Yeah, it's um, very different from Little Inferno, which is much less uh, goal oriented. Like you certainly have goals, but it's not really a true puzzle game. Uh, it's more of just sort of a, it's got a real interesting idea to express and it expresses that in a sort of a cool art game kind of way. Um, and there is a sort of a puzzle esque aspect to it, but it's, it's really a light puzzle and heavy on sort of theme and idea and, and visuals and a little bit of telling it's, it's odd and unique story. Yeah. This game has very little story and um, a lot less of it's sort of like big ideas and it's much more focused on its mechanic, its puzzle mechanic. Cause you're going to spend most of your time in that puzzle mechanic with little Inferno. Uh, probably my favorite part about that game was that like slow trickle of story. And that story turned out to be like a very dark and like, it's such a gleeful game. And then it like the whole thing is so dark. They kind of do that in this game um, where they're just like slowly trickling in story, but it, it's also kind of dark, but it, it like, it just feels different because you're spending like upwards of 20 minutes sometimes if you're me uh, or longer on an individual puzzle. So like they really had to focus on that and make that as crisp and as clean as possible. I mean, we've said programming, we said educational, but we were really underselling how insanely addictive this was. I yeah, have not sat down and played um, a puzzle game this long um, for this many puzzles in a row in a really long time. I mean, there, most places I play a couple, get the mechanic, get past a certain checkpoint and move on with my life and then maybe pick it up the next day. Uh, this one I sat down and was like, oh God, it's 1 a.m. I've worked tomorrow. <laughs> um, I was not expecting that from um, a game where you're essentially taking, you are writing commands to control this little employee. You get to pick out their hair and their badge and you're basically <laughs> telling them to go between one conveyor belt to another and do little commands. You don't need to know any math, although... Um, apart from addition and subtraction, to, really. Apart from addition and subtraction, but you're trying to get these little, uh, this little employee to do all your work for you by writing 
commands and then they'll loop through the different commands. So it's, it does use a lot of programming concepts, but it's not a language that you need to know in advance. The office itself is a CPU Mm -hmm. and the instructions that you're giving your little, uh, employee guy or gal, um, are basically, uh, analogs to the assembly language, if I understand it right. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's very low level, get, you know, get input from here, place it here. Uh, you have a small number of commands, but with it, you, uh, you have a complete programming language. I guess it's uh, Turing complete. It's a complete language, but if you've taken any classes, you're going to be real frustrated that like you don't have the, I'm like for loop plus plus, like can't mm-hmm. use any variables. Like, oh God, I'm so mm-hmm. limited. So if you know any code, it is an advantage in some ways because your brain is set to do loops and on those kind of things, but it's also a liability because you know how the code could be written today, and that's not what you have. You can add, subtract, and jump if negative, and then otherwise you're pretty screwed. Yeah, uh, just uh, just as a uh, obvious one that came up really early on, one of the early uh, puzzles asks you to take a number from the <laughs> inbox and then take another number from the inbox, multiply the two together, and put that result into the outbox. And I thought, oh, this will be easy. No, it's not, because there's no multiply command. So you have to walk your little guy through multiplying one number by an, by another number, but only by doing addition and subtraction. Um, and that's just a really early one. Uh, things get much more complex later on, and it's asking you to do sorting, and it's asking you to do counts of things. And it gets quite difficult to do, given that you're really just limited to uh, get thing, add or, re- or add or subtract one, or add or subtract thing A from thing B, um, and then uh, send the result to... Uh, an outbox and you've uh, within that very oh and also of course the obvious jump to a different part of the code um and by jumping through increasingly complex uh little puzzles you're 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 writing little programs but they're just they're just very simple little programming challenges within incredibly strict limits you're writing such spaghetti code i mean what i would do for a greater than less than symbol but you don't have and i think it's a lot more fun and it makes you feel more like a puzzle because to me the the best parts of a puzzle game are you have extremely limited tools the puzzle games that i end up hating in the long run are ones where you get really overpowered and then suddenly you can just slice through puzzles like butter um this felt in a like the parts of a math class where you're doing everything by hand and then eventually the professor is going to walk along and be like, and here's the thing they discovered in 1750 that renders all your work for three semesters completely moot. Like that's what this (laughs) game feels like. It's doing all the work by hand. So if you ever get to like, you know, turn on the computer and have it just work, you're like, you don't have to worry about assembly language anymore. Show your yeah. work, but it's still fun. <laughs> one of my one of the I think things that works so well with this game too <laughs> is that uh, you know every once in a while I kind of get it in my head that like I could I could build a program that was based off of the specific numbers that were coming in through. So like you'll get a row, your inbox will be a row, a defined row of numbers. You can usually see all of them or at least most of them. So it'd be like put. Uh, you know, one of them is like a string, uh, zero string, zero terminated string. And you had to put all the numbers into the outbox until it hit a zero. And then you had to discard the zero and then put all the numbers into the outbox until it hit a zero. So I tried to like build one that was 
keyed specifically to the inbox. So it was like inbox, 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 outbox, outbox, outbox. You know, it's just like built off of the numbers that were I could see were coming. But that doesn't work. You actually have to build a perfect program that could deal with any set of numbers coming in. Because every time it fails, they'll, it'll reset the numbers. So you have to build it that it could go all day if you needed it to. You can't cheat it. You actually have to figure out like a repeatable program. And which even if I, you get awesome. through the entire string of numbers and you pass, then they will tell you, oh, your code worked with these numbers, but we're going to give you numbers this time that expose a flaw in your programming, which right. I didn't get until like the end of the game. And I was very, very saddened by that. And they also, uh, what I love too, is they, they give little, um, I guess you call them achievements or like uh, extra accomplishments on each individual puzzle. The size challenge and the speed challenge. That was really neat. When you uh, when you build your program, you're using these tiny little blocks uh, that you can you have as many of them as you want in your program, and they're just drag and drop blocks that that you know create loops or that add or subtract. Every command is a drag and drop block. You're not doing any programming typing here. Um, and so there's a challenge of each each puzzle has you can solve it in any way you want. You can build it, and really you you only have to just get through the puzzle, complete the task. But if you want the extra challenge, uh, you can try to do it under a certain number of commands. So every puzzle has what I guess would be like the idealized version of that in terms of how many you know how few commands you can give it. And there's also a speed challenge: how many steps can you do the challenge in? And uh, for a lot of them, those are two different goals that you like. You, you might have a very fast thing that uses a lot of commands, or a thing with very few commands that involves a lot of extra steps. So theoretically, there might be many, many, many different ways to solve each puzzle, and you can try to optimize your work in one or two ways and get those extra, extra little lights lighting up on your uh, on your level list. Yeah, I still I have a hard time still conceiving of how one could make be less commands but moving has your guy running around and more like i i would i would achieve a lot of those uh basically i as as i started the game i got both all the achievements both of them all the way until i hit a part where i just like had a hard time even solving the puzzle let alone uh optimizing it and you kind of i just kind of get lucky if i accomplish one but i love that extra goal and I did go back sometimes, be like, "All right, how do I optimize this? Where where's the redundancy?" And you watch your little—it's we haven't talked about it yet. It's a super satisfying little thing to watch your little guy because he actually he's running around on the screen doing your little actions, and you can speed it up because some of these puzzles are super long, and watch him move at like hyper speed, running around from the inbox to the outbox. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like watching, like, wait, okay, I picked that up, put it back down, then I picked it back up again. Inefficiency, and then you know, cut out that line <laughs> of the code. And like be so satisfied, which is like I'm not, you know, I'm not programming this. I, I'm not. I've never really done anything like that before, and it's just so satisfying. And I know that's not how real programming, like, I mean, even thing. if you have a terminal turned on, like, you don't get that kind of satisfaction from running code. You just like you have to write all the lines with like print, you know, to see what you're actually doing. And even so, it's not at all satisfying as opposed to a little like redheaded lady who gets a haircut halfway through the game. I mean, it's not, it's not very realistic in terms of, in terms of how real computers work. Real computers have elves inside, not little humans. Yes. That's true. So, very different. Oh, so you've, you've clearly programmed. Before. Yeah. I, I, I've learned a thing or two about how computers work. I know they have elves inside that move the, uh, I can tell you as someone who's built his own computer that it, the, the hardest part is um, fitting the tiny manacles on them. It's really heartbreaking. Um, but once you get that, 
extra elf power in there. It really, really sets it off. But here they have a whole building, so there's plenty of space. You <laughs> just go from run floor around. to floor. And the, the mechanic is that you're going up an elevator as you get promoted each year. Mm-hmm. As if each year you're doing one task at a time <laughs> and you get to keep going up the elevator. Did you notice that your little your little uh, guy uh, ages? So each year it gets a little older. By the time we got into like my 35th year of, uh, of employment at the Tomorrow Corporation, man, he was looking pretty rough the real company yeah. man <laughs> yeah and some of the the little va- you get put on sent on little vacations and little coffee breaks and stuff like that when i came back from vacation my uh little woman in pigtails had a bob because she had you know aged up and probably was mid-30s by that point <laughs> <laughs> and everyone told her they liked her haircut oh it's very cute I, I like the art but it does have a story it does have an actual story that uh that carries you through the story is very background Almost more background than in the early stages of Little Inferno. You know, Little Inferno, it first seems like a completely abstract experience. And the story kind of unfolds in the background until it finally kind of takes the foreground. Here, it never really, truly takes the foreground. It is a pretty background story. The story is about this business and a bunch of corporate bullshit going on. Um, Meanwhile, uh, the Earth is being invaded by robots. And I kind of like that they were playing that, you know, the the human beings are behaving like robots and then there's robots invading. And I guess there's a theme there. To be honest, the story didn't really do much for me here, unlike in Little Inferno. Well, I, I do think like the, all the Tomorrow Corporation games, uh, well, this and Little Inferno, to be sure, have this sort of theme of the corporation as being this sort of dehumanizing force uh, that we nonetheless have to completely rely on. Um, I don't know. I think that's, that's, that's kind of an interesting theme that they're bringing up with their, uh, their work, although it has nothing to do with puzzles or burning things. Yeah. Or how much of your time is spent doing this one thing that you have to do your entire life. And then, you know, once every five years you get to go on a coffee break. How nice for you. Yeah. You know, I really was, like I said earlier, I really wasn't expecting to like this game. The pitch that I heard for this game when it first came out was, oh, hey, the guys who made Little Inferno made a new game. And it's a way lighter on story or theme, or etc. than Little Inferno, which is the main thing I liked about Little Inferno. And it's a... Uh, it's a programming-oriented puzzle game uh, with math, and, and it's uh, it's also kind of a learning game. You're going to be taught some things about how computers and programming work in a in an oblique sort of way. And all of that, to me, sounded like, oh, that's a big disappointment. I was hoping for more of something kind of like Little Inferno. But in fact, this was a huge surprise. I totally enjoyed it, and I, I wasn't expecting to. I think we've all really enjoyed this game and I can't recommend it enough. I mean, I really, I would, I think that unless you know, your friend is like into programming and stuff like that, I would just say it's a fun game. Give it a shot, mm-hmm. you know, cause and it's like it, five it, bucks it, on the iPhone now, which is a perfect yeah. price for it. And it's uh, yeah. mobile and it's challenging. If it, this game is hard, for the iPhone version, I, I would like to say, since that's the version that I was, I was playing around with. Um, I didn't get as far as, as any of you guys did, but they have done something really nice in the iPhone version in terms of the UI, which is that um, it's a game that takes advantage of both landscape and portrait mode so that when you're playing on, um, you, you turn the phone landscape and you've got the full puzzle laid out in front of you, pretty much the same as you'd see it on your computer screen. Uh, but if you turn the phone portrait, uh, then it instantly switches to focusing just on your program. Um, hmm. So which in the full screen version, that's, 
Uh, that's just kind of the rightmost, maybe third of your screen, but that fills up the entire screen. You can see the whole program really well. Um, so I thought the UI on the iPhone version was done pretty nicely. That's really nice that they do the tray mechanic where it kind of slides in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really am excited to, um, I probably will beat it on Steam just because I have too much time invested in it to go back. Yeah. But I probably, I think I'm going to pick it up on iPhone because I it's really enjoyable to do a puzzle as kind of a meditative exercise. It's just really chill. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's not, I wouldn't say it's relaxing, but it's definitely a different type of soothing. When you finish the puzzles, we haven't talked about how good this game makes you feel. When you finish a puzzle, you feel like you are a genius and a god. You are controlling (laughs) this little beast. It has done what you want. It has passed. It cheers and goes, yay! And it's the same sound from Little Inferno, right? Yeah, it's the same sound, but it's still effective. Like, oh yeah, it's great. It's like it's like a super concise, like cheers and whistles and like little explosions. And it's a little sad, just a little melancholy to temper it. But it's like, what did you really do? What did you really win? Yeah, what did you really do? You pumped an hour into a computer game, but I don't really care. It's. I felt so smart when I got this something right, especially if I passed it like the first time that without mm-hmm. trying, I passed an optimization challenge. I was like, yes, my code is clean. <laughs> I am so good at this game. I know you guys were, uh, so I, on the Slack, I was uh, cursing up a storm when I first got to the, the first stages that asked for multiplication. Um, and I just you were all caps i hit a wall and i was like guys i am so dumb what's wrong with me this game sucks i hate you all and as soon as i got past it bam i felt awesome it really like it it does but it it, none of the levels were ever a huge roadblock the game has an incredibly well done difficulty curve so it really ramps from just very very basic it adds uh it adds new commands pretty sparingly it lets you fully explore how each command might be used before it starts adding on more complexity and there's never more than what is it like a no more than at least maximum like a dozen possible commands and that's things like add one and subtract one like the it's really limited tool set um so it really it really smoothly takes you up that curve yeah it's it's all about finding figuring out like what's the trick to this equation like what's the thing that i need to make him do that only involves you know addition and subtraction to determine the the proper things like the multiplying was i also i mean i feel like that's the first like real test in this game. I feel like I, I got stuck on that for a long time. I feel like that was the, the real big, like when it's kind of twisted into like, okay, I really have to think about some of these. So um, can I ask you guys, um, since, since that's kind of something that's getting brought up is like, there's sometimes some trick to it. I haven't really gotten that far in the game. Maybe our listeners would like to hear um, some aha moments that you guys had while playing on, on certain levels that, uh, Turned out to have a bit of a trick to them? I have two big generic ones. And one is to um, look at what the game gives you. Uh, Sometimes they'll give you a zero, for example, kind of in your memory bank. And if you're not using that zero in your code, you've done something horribly wrong. Because they don't give you anything you don't need to use. Um, That goes for almost any puzzle room, any puzzle ever. If they give you something in the room and you're not using it, chances are your puzzle's flawed. Your answer's flawed. And the second one is if you're really stuck, um, you can talk to the little manager guy in the corner and they'll tell you 
what the bar is for the optimization challenge. So if they tell you it can be done in like 13 lines of code and you have like 50 on it, you probably need more loops. So I use that a couple times just to figure out like not, I knew I wasn't going to try to go for the optimization challenge, but if it can be done in five or so loops, there's some kind of counter, like some kind of incrementing, some kind of something that I could probably do that'll unlock it. So mm. um, use what you're given and then, you know, just look at the low bar, you know, kind of like if you've done a platformer and you find out that it can be done in a minute, you know, there's probably a shortcut mm. and you can start looking for a, a shortcut. It's the same way. Like just knowing how few commands you could do it in helped me look for. But your shortcut here is going to be loops. looping your looping, code. Looping the iterating. code. Another thing that helped me a lot. Um, and I, I really like the way the game, uh, approaches this it does let you sort of comment your code and sort of comment you don't truly get variables but there are addresses within the sort of array that makes up the sort of factory floor of the game exactly and you can label those cells uh and you can also label uh parts of your code with sort of comments and the comments are like literally it puts tape over your uh over your like uh program and you have to write into it with your mouse which leads to some really terrible looking handwriting uh but make sure to use those it really helped me to give everything names and to do things like put a little sticker that says setup done and now here's my first loop and now here's the second loop if this is zero like add those labels and it'll they don't count towards your solution so you can use as many of them as you want and it really helped me kind of process some of the harder ones I also found myself, um, I will say one counter to my use what you're given. Um, sometimes you're given like 12 spaces on the floor and you can solve it in two or three. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about like filling all the slots on the floor. Like it's literally a carpet with little squares on it. If you need to, you can write it to write to every single cell, but there's probably a way you can do it with fewer. Um, mm-hmm. Just if they give you any number. So the game overall, I would expect takes about... Not how long it takes you is going to really vary depending on just how naturally you take to this sort of thinking and also how much time you want to spend trying to optimize and get those additional options. Um, But I would say uh, probably about six-ish hours, maybe as many as eight or maybe as few as four or five, depending on how you approach it. But it's definitely a shorter game than I think a lot of games in this sort of puzzle format. A lot of puzzle games, I think, just have this sort of open-ended, endless kind of thing. You can beat this game in not that much time if you want to. Have you guys uh, ever played any other programming games? Like, not educational programming games, but like a game like a game like this that uses programming as its key function? I've played with robots that you wrote code for to make the robots do things. Um, you wrote basic, very basic code to make robots fight each other. Cool. It I reminded me strangely of a awesome. board game that I've uh, played and enjoyed kind of a lot. Now, this is a very different game, but um, Robo Rally. Uh, Robo Rally is a game where you, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a competitive board game where each person controls a robot on a sort of a factory floor, and the the floor has all sorts of lasers and conveyor belts and so on. And you program your robot to collect different objectives and then get back to some sort of home base um, by laying down cards. 
Um, but everyone's everyone programs their robot and then turns over their cards simultaneously, and there's rules for how the options resolve. So you might have programmed your robot to move forward three spaces, uh, which would get him onto a particular objective, but perhaps somebody else has programmed their robot to hit your robot, which throws him off course and he falls in a pit, that sort of thing. It's a really fun board game, and um, uh, it, it's probably the only game I've played a lot of that has a programming aspect to it. I know a lot of folks have compared this to a game called Infinifactory. Infinifactory is a uh, is a uh, sort of well, it's uh, it's a puzzle game based on programming concepts, but it's more of a it's more of a three D spatial kind of thing. Um, so if you really like this idea, there's there's other games. I've seen that one? I think I think it had a lot of a lot in common with Minecraft. Um, I guess that's probably the only. A uh, game that I've played where there was a, a programming element, um, and I only barely got into that, which was Minecraft with the kind of redstones and, and mm-hmm. the and the commands that you could enter and, and things like that. I mean, I've seen a lot of places where if you wanted to do some light coding to customize the game, that, that they included mm-hmm. that component. Um, or a few that just frankly weren't fun where coding was the primary mechanic and the goal was we will teach your child to code. So when they grow yeah. up, they will make millions of dollars. Um, I haven't seen a lot like this where coding was an excuse for a puzzle mechanic. It wasn't, there is no need to learn assembly language. Right. And so it doesn't worry about you learning assembly language. It just worries about you thinking about commands and thinking solving about the loops, puzzle. like thinking about solving yeah. the puzzle. Yeah, you're going to learn how to think like a programmer, but you're not going to come out of here learning my sequel. That's not the right. point. And that's great. The game is better for it. It's definitely a better it. game. Uh, I was I was expecting a uh, a teaching tool and I was pleasantly surprised that I got an actual game instead. Right? <laughs> I actually played a uh, I also have played a board game and I, from a little bit of my um, experience with board games, this this concept programming is pretty popular in board games. So, uh, the, one of the reasons I asked that question is because I had never I'd never seen it in a video game like this, and it's interesting to see it kind of entering into this realm. I played an awesome game called Train Heist, where uh, you and all the other players are trying to rob a train, and you actually all place your uh, your your commands face up in a and you go in a circle. And so I'd say I'm moving my guy forward one and then Reagan, you would say, well, I'm moving my guy forward one. And then Shane would be like, well, I'm going to shoot backwards with my guy. And then we just keep going in a circle and then they all, the deck gets flipped over and then they get resolved. And so you get to like, you're programming your character, but you're also seeing how everyone else is programming their character and you're like trying to adjust it. Uh, so it's kind of like that robot game, but it worked really, really well, and it was a ton of fun. So I'm, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if a um, multiplayer, maybe an asynchronous uh, app or something like that, will start to implement this programming kind of element because I think it's very satisfying. The idea of a programming heist game sounds uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. Game is not good at heist games. We've tried to play games together where we tried to be stealthy or steal things, and we always ended up completely dead. Yeah, all but of us. that so was part of the fun. We're not a stealthy crew. <laughs> um, what was that game? Hold on. What was that game? Uh, that was Monaco. Monaco. Oh, that was so stupid. We were fantastic at that game. Oh man, so I, I was I was an good. embarrassment at that game. Uh, 
So yeah, if people want to check this game out, it's available on Steam for Mac, PC, and Linux. It's available on the Wii U, and now it's available on iPhones and iPads on the App Store. So uh, definitely check it out on one of those platforms. It's five bucks on the App Store. It is varying prices from 10 to practically nothing on Steam, depending on where and how you pick it up. So definitely recommend it. Um, before we close it out for the week, uh, what have you guys been up to apart from programming little quietly aging salarymen? And women. And women, excuse me. I have been playing some various other iPhone games just uh, for fun. Um, and profit. For fun and profit, indeed. Yeah. So I, but the main one I, I wanted to bring up is one that um, I found out from some of the guys over at Touch Arcade, and that is uh, Leap Day, which I really recommend to you guys. Uh, if you are in the mood for a really basic um, puzzle platformer, not puzzle at all, actually, scratch the puzzle part. There's no puzzle at all. It's a pure one tap platformer. And you know, it's hard to do a really great platformer on touch screens. That's just something that I think we've all resigned ourselves to the fact that there's not a lot of really great platformers. But um, auto running is kind of the name of the game for a lot of platform stuff on, on iOS. Um, and this one, this one does it well. Uh, people want games for their iPhone that you can play one handed standing up on a train. Yep. Um, and this is one of them and it does the platform style game really well. So if this is the kind of game where I feel like if you've got somebody who's like, Oh, Hey, you're into iPhone games. Uh, what game do you recommend? I try uh, this. Is, this is going to be one that I recommend to people going forward just because it gives people a really accessible experience that is, uh, fun and seems like it's got a good amount of depth and, and skill that's involved as well. So it's, it's a pretty fun game. And uh, I love its premise. Um, it's a new puzzle every single day. I have been playing this since he recommended it. Um, the puzzles are not puzzle. It's a new level every day, um, which is pretty cool. They're they're definitely challenging. Um, yeah, you can go. I've gotten I've gotten the gold cup at the top of the level um, probably about half the days since I picked it up. But um, you can go back and try and and try and get the days that you missed. But they just add a new level every single day, and the levels are pretty sizable. Uh, it's also free to play, which is neat. So I, I've also been yes. playing this and really enjoyed it. So um, probably not something we could focus a whole episode around, but if you are looking oh. for a, uh, a quick one-handed uh, platform game, this is a great implementation of that. And I also kind of like the heading up a long shaft kind of uh uh, format. Don't chuckle. Would, don't you? don't you <laughs> chuckle. Uh, I'm talking about one-handed games and shafts yeah. for a while, on, and I've just God. been quietly. You can't say that. I and can not. too. It's kind of the opposite of downwell. You're you're escaping a long well, and uh, it's really well done. I really uh, and there's a lot of variety, like more than I was expecting. You, different types of things like uh, pits and spikes, but enemies, different sort of difficult jumping spots. It's pretty neat. I really liked it a lot. Laura, what have you been up to? I've been playing a lot of games on my DS. I've uh, been revisiting Ocarina of Time. I'm in the Forest Temple right now. Uh, the corridor's all twisty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, no, still finishing up Luigi's hey. Mansion. Hey, listen. Yeah, Navi is actually a little more annoying on the DS because she's easier to trigger. <laughs> so I had to disable. Yeah, I kind of disabled the button where you tap and get Navi because I kept accidentally hitting 
her button. But in the short game territory, um, really, I've just been recommending a lot of old favorites going back to them. Uh, there is a humble narrative bundle right now with a lot of games that uh, we've covered on the podcast in the past. 80 Days is in there. Um, and a few that I'm looking forward to, like read-only memories. So um, I've been really enjoying taking a couple games that we've done in the past and introducing them to friends who don't play games at all. I have a couple friends who are doing consulting where they fly out four days a week. So they need games for hotel rooms because mm. they are alone in a spot and they can watch Netflix, but they'd rather play a game. And it's been really lovely to um, show people who've never who would never go towards a really hardcore game to be, to let them know the games are for them. Um, it's been really, really wonderful to have friends text me and be like, I'm in Igers. I go, Oh my God, there's an automaton. <laughs> What's going on with the alchemists? Oh, like, oh yes. What is going is on with such the alchemists? Let me know. Such a great Ex- game for recommending to people who don't, who don't play a lot of games. Yeah, my um, the person who's taken to it the most is the archaeologist who's in Pompeii right now. Ooh. She keeps texting me from Pompeii with um, stories of her time, and she felt real bad because she accidentally uh, got on the slave ship, and <gasps> yikes! She feels very, very unethical right now. So, <laughs> well, speaking of Inkle and, and their games, uh, they've just got. I think it's just come out Sorcery Three. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the, that's the final sorcery that's game. Sorcery 4. Sorcery 4 is coming out. That's right. Okay, so I have 1 through 3. I haven't picked up 4 yet because I'm still stuck in 2. <laughs> but um, I'm, I, I've, I've resolved, now that they're all out, um, I've decided to go back and see if I can beat all the rest of those because uh, I had such a fun time playing Sorcery 1 and most of 2, and then I just sort of got, picked, got, got sidetracked with other things. So Yeah, not on the short... Spectrum. No, not a short <laughs> game. Not a sh- n- none of those four games are short. <laughs> and I'm going to try and play them all. I'm also playing some not so short games apart from what we've been talking about for the show. Um, not a whole lot to say about it, but I'm working my way through the first Suikoden uh, in preparation of playing the second one. Um, and totally recommended. It's uh, it's a great PS1 RPG. They were uh, really, really hard to find for a very long time because they, uh, particularly two, uh, is considered a, a huge classic, uh, but hadn't been re-released for many years. Um, there was no way to play it legally apart from picking up the disc for somewhere around three or $400. So uh, they finally re-released it on the PlayStation Network, and you can download it on your PS3 or your PS Vita. And I totally recommend doing that because I'm almost, almost done with the first one, which is like only 20 hours, which is super short for an RPG. And then the second one coming up, I'm really excited to start. So totally recommend those games if you haven't played them. There's some really great write-ups about them on like US Gamer and uh, Eurogamer and some other places. Nate, what have you been up to lately? Well, uh, you guys kind of hit some of the games I've been playing on my iPhone already. And I'm still playing Warbits, and I still have an active game on hashtag short game if anyone out there is playing. Had some really good games with one of our listeners, and it was awesome. Um, but outside of video games, but kind of on the topic of this uh, this episode, I finally was able to do one of the escape the room kind of puzzle rooms that are getting really popular right now. And I had a blast. We uh, it was It was all of my family. So it was my older brother and his wife, me and Molly, and then my little sister and her uh, boyfriend, and then my parents. So it was like every person of my immediate family. Uh, there's eight of us all in one room. Uh, 
And we managed to get out with 16 seconds left. Oh, my gosh. It was a very dramatic last couple minutes. Uh, Many points where I just, like, internally was like, well, we lost uh, pretty consistently. Um, It was great. I I can't recommend it enough if if it's in your city. Um, Escape the Room is, like, the major company, from my understanding, and they're in a lot of cities. But even if they're not in your city – there's a lot of other companies that are doing it. Like there's actually like four different companies now in St. Louis all doing Here in this. Houston. There are actually several of them. Um, and all of them have really different themes. Like there's mm-hmm. one that's, uh, themed as uh, mission control from NASA. Uh, there's one that's 80s themed. Uh, there's another one that's themed as some kind of alchemist's tower. So, um, the only thing holding me back is I can't decide which of those would be most often yeah. awesome to do first. What was we yours did. Uh, ours was it was called the agency and it was spy themed. Um, so uh, like literally one of the puzzles involved James Bond. Um, but it, it was great. This one place has it's a big building and they have um, one called the dig, which is like an archaeological 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 archaeological. <laughs> And it's we'll an archaeological it dig. Keep going. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it's an archaeological dig. There's your clean one. Um, and there's another one where you, it's called like a wild. It's called Wild West, and it's uh, all of you and your team are trapped inside the vault at a, a Wild West bank, and you have to like uh-huh. get out and avoid the sheriffs and stuff. Um, cool. So mine was it was cool. It, it was a smaller room, and it was a lot of number based stuff. Almost everything was. Find this code, find this like hidden wall panel that has a four digit keypad on, or a, a, a keypad on that needs a four digit code. A lot of interpreting numbers and things like that. But I, I did want to share with you guys an awesome puzzle that they did. So if you're in St. Louis and you're going to do Escape the Room and you do the agency, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, but uh, it was really cool because we go into the room and it had they, uh, it was kind of made up to look like a. Uh, Someone uh, like a, a study in your house, or you might have built a bar in there too. And so there's a, a bar with six different beer tabs on it, uh, and a little placemat or a little coaster to the right of it that said "shaken, not stirred." And so when you first walked into the room, we found a tape recorder that was missing batteries. And through a series of puzzles, you find two batteries and you play it. And it's a tape recording of two people ordering beer at the bar, and you have to pull the tabs in the order that they ordered the beer and also have found there was a, um, a shaker, you know, for like huh. mixed drinks mm-hmm. on a, on a shelf. You had to take that and it had to be sat on the thing that said shaken, not stirred. And you pulled the tabs in the right order. Uh, and the whole back of the bar, the, they had like a shelf thing that you would have behind your bar for beer and glasses swung open. And that was like the entry into the next room where there was more puzzles and stuff. So it was really fun because everyone's like the whole thing is basically like an hour of panic. Uh, (laughs) And it's very, very satisfying when, you know, you're just like pulling these beer tabs and all of a sudden the door behind you or the the cabinet behind you swings open into a whole new room. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Uh, My mom just basically ran in circles going, this is so hard over and over and over. <laughs> uh, it definitely, you definitely uh, can um, draw some lines in between you and your friends on who's good at this sort of thing and who's not. So if you're going to do an escape the room game, uh, make sure you have everybody there that you can know it well enough to yell at them because I only had half of the group in a 20 person room in Chicago for the game, the last defender. 
Um, and it was a super great game, but there was an old man there who was very quiet and there was an entire wall, um, that was a space team, like the, the iPhone game where it was, you actually would call commands out from a terminal and then people would run along the wall and move the objects to make the, um, the entire wall work. So the man who was insisting that he would call the commands was so quiet and raspy. Like he clearly had smoked for like 40 years. Um, but he would not give his spot at the terminal because he declared himself the captain. So you got to do an impression of this guy for us. I mean, so he, he talked like this and he'd be like, <laughs> okay, everyone got to, okay, I need a alabaster six. Does everyone slide that? And I was just like, uh, this guy is terrible. This guy's the worst. We are losing so much time. So I just walked behind him and started yelling the commands. And then we like saw the puzzle and moved on. But the need to be polite to strangers is so ingrained in our souls that you're going to lose 20 minutes if you have to be accommodating of people. Like There was a puzzle that was clearly Braille. I have done a lot of puzzle rooms. I started solving it, and then a girl walked up and was like, can you explain to me how you solved that puzzle? And I was like, no, the world is ending in half an hour. Like, why are you making me be mean to you, stranger? Like, my friends would know not to do that. They would go get a coffee with me afterwards and be like, how did that puzzle work? But, so I would say make sure you have either be really comfortable at yelling at strangers because you're going to have to do it, or have your entire group be your family, like Nate did. Because you can yell at family. So like best, sounds like the best tip would be to have a thick skin and go with Laura. <laughs> I'm really good at this game. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. That's pretty much the only reason I haven't done one of these yet. Laura, next time that you and I are in the same town for any extended period of time, we ought to try one of these together. I just decided I'm never going to see these people again, so it doesn't matter if I'm horribly mean. <laughs> sounds like a plan. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Um, I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on the Twitter interwebs at Reagan K. And also you can find our show on Twitter at underscore short game or www.theshortgame.net where we have a feedback form and we love to hear from you if you have recommendations on games that we ought to be checking out for the show or feedback about any past episode we like to hear that sort of stuff there um Nate, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And Shane, where can people find you? Uh, over on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Laura. You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.